Hey everybody, this is Harriet Westmore with the More Wine and Music podcast, the podcast where we talk about the history of American music over a glass of wine. I want to welcome everybody to the fourth episode of um, the More Wine and Music podcast. And I hope everybody is doing well on Friday, April 16th. It's been a very long day for me. Um, Woke up not feeling too well, but uh, I'm going to get through it. I am dedicated to uploading content to uh, my podcast and I'm going to, I'm going to do it. So here we are. All right, before I get into this week's episode, I want to remind you to visit www.morewineandmusic.com where you would see past um, episodes. And also if you want to leave comments or questions, um, you may do so on the website. All right. So this week, we're going to be talking about Robert Johnson, who was considered king of the Delta Blues. And I'm sure that those who listen to the blues may know who Robert Johnson was. His story has intrigued um, musicians and blues historians for, for years and years. But who was he? Who, what, 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 what's his background? Robert Johnson was born on May 8th in 1911 in Hazelhurst, Mississippi to mother Julia Major Dodds. He never knew his real, um, his natural father. His natural father's name was um, Noah Johnson, but Robert never knew him. As a matter of fact, Robert was born out of wedlock. Um, he had 10 other siblings before he was born. And um, Robert just happened to been born um, to um, Noah Johnson, who wasn't um, Julia's um, husband. He she wasn't married to him. Matter of fact, she was married to um, a man named Charles Dodds. But um, because Robert was born within the marriage of Charles Dodd, he took the Dodds last name. Well, actually Spencer, which I'm going to get into that in just a second. Charles Dodds was a, um, by all accounts, a pretty successful landowner. This was in um, Mississippi, but his family had to abruptly leave Hazelhurst, Mississippi and move to Memphis because apparently there was some, um, vindication or some kind of altercation between uh, Mr. Dodds and some of the white um, farmers or, or, or whoever, whatever that was, a lynch mob was forming. And so um, Charles Dodd had to move and his family, they had to quickly leave um, Hazelhurst and then they ultimately moved to Memphis, Tennessee. Um, it was there that Charles Dodd um, changed his name to Charles Spencer, and that's um, where Robert took the Spencer's last name. So at that time, he was known as um, Robert Spencer. By 1919, Robert's um, 
mother, Julia, married again um, to a man named Dusty Willis, who lived in um, Crittenden, Arkansas, um, from Memphis. So it, it, it sounds like Julia, Miss Julia must have left her, her husband, Charles Dodd or Charles Spencer in Memphis, ran off and got married to um, Dusty Willis in Arkansas. And while Arkansas, she sent for Robert to um, come live with her and her new husband, Dusty Willis. Because um, I guess records shows that he was um, registered at um, a, a school called Indian Creek School. So that's where he attended, briefly attended school in Arkansas when he was um, with uh, his mom and his and her new husband. And it was said that um, his her husband, he was very abusive to Robert. Um, he used to beat Robert all the time, little Robert. So uh, when Robert became a teenager, um, he decided to leave home and, and he changed his name from Spencer back to his natural father, Johnson. So he took the Johnson's name, henceforth Robert Johnson. Um, during that time when he became a young man, he um, wanted to learn how to play the guitar. So apparently his one of his older brothers, Leroy, um, was already a guitar player and he was already establishing playing around in jute joints and in other establishment bars and jute joints around the city. So um, young Robert wanted to um, be like his big brother and learn how to play the guitar. So he started picking around on the guitar and Leroy was um, trying to show him some chords. So um, other interest, other instruments that Robert played, um, said so he played the harp and the harmonica, but it was the guitar that made him, he was very interested in. So even though he played harmonica and the harp, Robert really, his love was actually the guitar. And unfortunately, even though he loved to play the guitar, he was not good at it at all. Um, <laughs> matter of fact, I mean, he was horrible to, to be honest. I mean, he, he played so bad that people would laugh at him. Um, but he would beg and beg, you know, um, the local artists that were playing around at that time to play, um, in the jute joints or whatever he would, you know, ask, well, can I play, can I play, you know? And when he, when they give him an opportunity to play and he get up on there and stage and he start playing, I mean, it was just so bad. People would just laugh. Um, it was said that um, people like um, Charlie Patton, who I had um, did his documentary last uh, the two weeks ago and other um, artists like Sunhouse and Willie Brown, they, um, some, you know, they would, really make fun of him they would allow him to get on stage just so they can make fun of him so it, it was pretty bad you know so he um 
after that, Robert became kind of um, humiliated. He was humiliated enough. So he, he kind of left um, the area and nobody, and he kind of like disappeared because nobody knew where he was for a while. Um, around 1929, um, in Robinsonville, Mississippi, he met a girl named um, Virginia Travis, and he fell in love with her, and the couple, you know, were married, and Virginia wasn't about that life. He, she wasn't about the, the juke joint or whiskey and, you know, playing in any kind of... Um, bars or anything like that. She just wasn't that part of that life. So she, because of his love for her, he decided to give it up. He decided to get, put that guitar down for a little bit and he wanted, and she wanted him to become a farmer. So he became a sharecropper and they farmed off of, um, I, I don't know who, who they sharecrop, what farm or plantation they were, um, living on, but um, he certainly became a sharecropper. And this was in 1929. Um, He was, Virginia became pregnant. And so, you know, they were, you know, young couple um, starting a a family. He was a farmer, tried to settle down and do the right thing. But it was in 1930, unfortunately, um, during childbirth, Virginia and the baby um, died. So, I mean, and that that was just devastating for Robert. I mean, he lost his wife and and his child at the same time. So after that, um, he, um, you know, he obviously didn't want to continue being a farmer or sharecropper because actually he did it because of uh, Virginia and Virginia was only 16 years old when she passed away. So that that that's pretty sad. Um, she was just only a young girl, you know, given birth and, and died. So after after the death of his wife and child, um, he decided to leave um, Robinsonville. And um, he still wanted he picked up the love of a guitar. He wanted to just continue to play. But, um, you know, obviously he still wasn't able to play like, like he would be later on. He, um, met another woman named, um, what was her name? Callie, Car- uh, Caletta Craft, or named Callie Craft. And she was like 10 years older. She was 10 years older than Robert. And they married in secret. So secretly, no one really knew that they were married, but they were apparently. And um, from there, he um, went back to try to play. And again, you know, he was left out of the, out of Jew joints and and um, bars and stuff. So he left. Um, after a while, after being despondent once again, he left. And nobody saw him for a little while. But then one night, it was about like months later, maybe a year. I think it was like a year, whole year later. Nobody heard about Robert. 
I mean, he, he just like disappeared. Um, but he came back in the area like a year later. And when he came back in the area, you know, people, you know, recognize him and, you know, um, he came um, one night into a juke joint and, you know, people, you know, saw who he was and everything. And he asked, I think it was, um, it said it was Sunhouse. He asked Sunhouse, who was a, another blues artist, one of the uh, early blues artists. He asked him to, if he could play. <clears throat> and Sunhouse remembered how he was before. And he like, you know, real reluctant of allowing him to play. Cause he, they, you know, he was thinking about how he was before. Cause he was just horrible. But Robert insists that, okay, I, I can play. I can play, you know, just give me a chance. I can play. So Sunhouse, you know, finally relented. And um, as soon as Robert got on stage and started playing, people just kind of like, who is that? They looked and everyone just stopped. It was like, like frozen because Robert was playing music. Not only was he playing, he was playing really good. And people, you know, people was amazed and astounded how he transformed from just a year ago that he was just, you know, so bad in playing. But now he is just like playing these riffs and these chords that no one ever heard before. And, you know, everybody was impressed with that. So the crowd went wild and, you know, and they, you know, wanted, to, they wanted to hear some more and, you know, obviously Sunhouse and the others who were making fun of him back, you know, a year ago, they couldn't say much anything. Now they were very impressed with him. And, you know, it, it people began to wonder, well, how did he even got this good? I mean, cause he was, I mean, he was just horrible last year. How did he, all of a sudden, you know, come back and he sounded and he sounds great. And this is where, you know, the, the legend comes about um, rumors that he, that Robert must have sold himself to the devil in order to um, play this good. And it, it went something like this. After many times of Robert being laughed at, you know, because of his, you know, bad guitar playing, he went away. And one night while he was away, he was walking on this dark road um, on Highway um, 61 and 49 in Robertsonville, Mississippi. That's where it's known as the crossroads. He was just sitting there and it was like midnight. And he was just sitting there, you know, just depressed because he couldn't play and people you know, lapped him off the stage. He was sitting there. All of a sudden, this dark figure, form figure just hovered over him. And this voice, booming voice told him to hand his guitar over him, over his shoulder. Robert was too scared to even turn around to see who it was. 
So he just handed his guitar over his shoulder and gave it to these, this man, whoever he was, that was standing behind him. Well, the man, this dark figure, this booming voice, um, he started picking at his, at Robert's guitar, started tuning it up and he tuned it. And then he returned the guitar back over the, over Robert's shoulder and gave it to him. And then the man disappeared. And once Robert started playing, he noticed that he was playing, actually playing a song and he was actually playing riffs and chords from this on the, on the guitar that was actually music. So that that's how the legend was that he sold his soul to the devil. And it was the devil that came behind him and the devil had made a, you know, um, a, that Robert made a deal with him. Can you just please allow me to play, you know, good. I want to play, I want to play the guitar. So the devil tuned up that guitar to where Robert was able to play and be one of the best players in, in blues music. That's the legend of um, Robert at the crossroads. After that, um, he came, he returned back to um, Robinsonville and that's where, you know, again, that's where he, Sunhouse and other musicians had um, noticed his change of, of music. Um, he went on after that. I mean, his career took off because, I mean, he was just so good to where he started um, playing and and, and um, recording um, these songs. I mean, he he finally wanted to record, so he record. Um, he was um, connected to a uh, record um, company in San Antonio, so he went to San Antonio, and he decided to um, record um, songs. And Sorry about that. Don't know what happened. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was talking about how Robert was starting to um, record some of his songs in San Antonio. So disregard that uh, countdown um, intro. I don't know what happened, but I'm here and I'm back. But anyway, um, he started to record um, songs like... Uh, Come on into my kitchen, Crossroad Blues, um, Terraplane Blues. That's one of his favorites, favorite or famous songs was Terraplane Blues, and um, among other others. So he left San Antonio, Texas, and he he recorded the songs that he was recording during that time in about five days. So in five days, he recorded about uh, maybe eight songs, and then afterwards he came back to Mississippi. Well, when he went back to Mississippi, he met up with another blues artist, which was named um, David Honeyboy Edwards. Um, and they became good friends and they would play together around in the Mississippi Delta. Well, in um, 
1937, Robert wanted to go back and record some more songs. So he went to Dallas this time and recorded songs like um, Hellhound on My Trail, Me and the Devil's Blues, among others. And from there, he was able to tour a little bit and he went to um, St. Louis and he went to Memphis. On um, after, after his tour in St. Louis and Memphis, he returned back to Mississippi and again, start playing around in that area. And um, I don't know what happened if he was still married to um, Coletta. I, I'm not sure. Um, it, no record is being as was ever said, but it was at one point um, recorded that he was a stepfather to Robert Jr. Lockwood, um, who was another famous um, blues artist. And as a matter of fact, my dad um, knew um, Robert Jr. Lockwood and he would often visit him in um, East Cleveland. And there's a, um, a uh, street named after Lock, I think it's called Lockwood. So anybody who's from the Cleveland area would know what I'm talking about. But my, my father knew him personally. But anyway, but he was um, Robert Johnson's um, stepson. Um, on a Saturday evening on August 13th in 1938, Robert was in Greenwood, Mississippi, and he was um, scheduled to perform at a um, jute joint named the Three Forks. And his friend, um, Sonny Boy Edwards, was supposed to meet up with him there later on that evening. So Robert was at the at the Three Forks and Sonny Boy was supposed to, you know, hook up later on. Well, the tradition is when um, Robert would go up to play, he would, you know, get his liquor and, you know, he'll go up on stage. Now, again, Robert was the type that he was, the epitome of, of what the stereotype of um, early blues artists were. He was a womanizer and he was a drinker. Those are the two things that are usually common for blues singers, especially back then in the early part of the blues. So Robert was no exception. So he had his jar of liquor in a mason jar and um, he went up on stage and he started playing. And after that, he took a couple of swigs of, um, of liquor and he put down, you know, put it down. He started playing. And then after he um, finished, he noticed something, he was feeling kind of weird, but you know, people, I mean, he was playing so good. People wanted to, you know, they were howling out, um, play tape, play terraplane blues, play hellhound on my, I mean, they were just, you know, want him to keep playing. So he, he played, but then he just wasn't feeling right. He would stop. He wasn't feeling right at all. So, you know, I guess he just broke out into a sweat and he tried to play, but he, he just couldn't. And so people noticed that he was, you know, they were still saying, play, come on, come on, play, you know, whatever the song they wanted him to play, one of his, you know, recordings. And uh, he was saying, I don't feel good. I, I don't know, you know, something's not, I, I just don't feel good. We said, well, you know, and foolishly, you know, well, 
they gave him some more whiskey. They figured, well, you just need some more whiskey. Here, get, take another swig of whiskey. You'll, you'll feel better. So he took the drink. And then, you know, he tried to play again. And this time he like blurred out and he just pretty much fell off the stool and fell on the ground. He did, He just went cold, flat out. So people, you know, rushed up and they took him back into the back room of the juke joint and laid him on the bed. And, you know, they was hoping, well, maybe he'll feel better after he lay down for a bit. But, I mean, he, he was sick as a dog. And um, a couple of days later, they moved him on to a, a rooming house that he was staying at um, in town. So they took him back there and laid him down on the bed at the rooming house. And um, he just wasn't getting any better. He just got sick and sick. And, you know, people were trying to give him um, home remedies, um, which wasn't working. And, you know, back then, Blacks didn't have any money to, you know, go to a doctor and, you know, really, and honestly, no white doctor would, you know, come and tend to a Black, you know, any Black, um, anybody who's sick, who's, you know, uh, a Black man anyway. So, uh, you know, that that was all the question. So, but um, they said, you know, for the next few days, he would start, I mean, frothing at the mouth. He was just so much in pain. He would holler, crawling around like a dog, you know, frothing at the mouth and, you know, barking. This is what, you know, people who witnessed him, that's what they said he was, um, you know, doing. Um, but on a Wednesday night, on August 17th, four days after, after, that Saturday when he played, um, Robert um, succumbed to his illness and he died. He was only 27 years old and come to find out he was poisoned by strychnine poison and he was poisoned um, in his drink. Now, why and who would do that? Well, like I said, Robert, Robert was a womanizer. And back then, when you mess with somebody's um, wife or girlfriend, you would get taken care of. And apparently, Robert was going with and messing around with the wife of the owner who was um, at of, of the juke joint that he was playing at. So he was, I guess, messing around with the wife. And, um, you know, people people would go back and tell the husband, you know, I saw Robert and I don't know her name, so-and-so they were together, you know, walking down the road or whatever. So <laughs> instead of confronting Robert directly, the husband decided to take care of him permanently. So I guess he slipped a little bit of strychnine poisoning in his drink on that night that um, Robert was scheduled to play there. And that took care of that. And that was kind of pretty usual. That was, that's not unusual because back then, um, you know, black folks, especially in our culture, if you want, if you were caught messing around with somebody's husband or somebody's um, wife, you know, sometimes you get it in a, in the worst way. And it's usually somebody will put something in your drink or in your food. Um, I know that personally, because I know, um, it was, um, 
talk in my family, on my father's side, a couple of, of my relatives, um, unfortunately, was supposedly have died of poison. Um, there were a couple of stories behind that. You know, that's what I've been told. So, but anyway, um, Robert was buried in Greenwood, Mississippi. And um, it's he became more famous after he died because um, like 30, 40 years later, people started um, discovered his music and his style of music. And a lot of people like Eric Clampton and um, others um, really became a big fan of Robert, uh, Robert, sorry, Robert Jr., um, Robert Johnson and, and his music. And if you listen to some of his music, um, you know, in his voice, um, he, it is unique. So Robert Johnson, you know, he was a local young man who couldn't play a lick and people would laugh at him. But in the end, he got the last laugh by becoming one of the most influential blues artists in history. So that was the story of Robert Johnson. I hope um, you enjoyed it. Um, again, visit www.morewineandmusic.com. Get more information and more suggestions. If you've got to have a suggestion of an artist that you would like um, a documentary of, if you'd like me to tell the, tell the story of, please um, leave a comment or suggestion on the website. And um, next week, um, I think I'm going to do a documentary on Blind Blake. That's another early blues artist. Um, so, all right, you guys take care and have a very good night. Bye. Sounds good. Stripe.